All right, take your Bible, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you're a guest with us, we've been actually preaching through uh, the minor prophets. Today we're going to take a, a little bit of a break from the minor prophets and we're going to talk a little bit about the resurrection. And here's one of the things about, by the way, I've asked, you know, some of you have asked, you know, what's the deal with the suit today? Are you going, are you going for an interview after this? <laughs> well, here's the deal. I have one suit. Now, I used to, up until 2008, I had a whole closet full of suits. I had some nice threads. Because you wore, the churches I worked in, you wore suits. That was kind of the, the thing. Um, it would be anathema if you didn't. Well, you know, in 2008, life kind of changed. And the churches I worked in, you could just wear jeans and stuff. And so I kind of reduced it down to one suit. And I have one suit to my name still, but now that suit is a little too big for me after losing some of this weight. So uh, I actually rented this this weekend. Uh, we had a wedding, we had a wedding Saturday and I was like, you know what? I need to get my money's worth. I'm gonna get all the mileage I can out of this thing. So, so, you know, just so you know, I'm wearing it to bed tonight. I mean, I'm going to get, I'm going to squeeze every bit out of this rental. I'm going to eat Easter lunch in this. I'm probably going to smear it with some gravy. I mean, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to drop it off at 10 o'clock tomorrow. So that's what's going on. All right, First Corinthians 15. Hey, would you stand uh, in reverence to reading God's Word? We're going to read all of First Corinthians 15. Y'all okay with that? Good, because it's going to happen anyways. First Corinthians chapter 15. We actually, it was great yesterday. We got to, um, we got to see Kyle and Gabby married yesterday. Uh, they both said yes, so that's always reassuring when you can... Leave the service like that. Everybody says yes. Um, so thankful. I can tell you, it was it was an emotional day because we were missing Carrie, and this is a special resurrection because uh, because this reminds me this morning just thinking about Carrie. Um, this reminds me that that this isn't over. That we're going to resurrect. That we're going to see her. And right now, her soul's with the Lord, and someday the Lord's going to resurrect our body, and we're going to be together. Now, I don't know what a resurrected Nick looks like. I know it's going to be a lot better than this carcass I'm hauling around right now. Hopefully, it's not in a suit. All right. First Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15.1 Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you a first importance which I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and He appeared to more than five hundred brethren at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James and to the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, He appeared also to me. Just a side note. The Bible is trying to give us evidence for the resurrection. God does not want you to be gullible about what you believe. So he gives you evidence. Number nine, for I am the least of the apostles. I'm unworthy to be called an apostle because I, because I uh, persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And by his grace towards me, it was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain. 
You're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise. If it is true that the dead are not raised, verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ, then even Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sin. Verse 18, then those who are fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if Christ, we have hope in this life only. We are of all people most to be pitied. I love verse 20. Y'all okay? We're still reading. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The best part. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Changes everything. He's the first fruits of those who's fallen asleep. And as by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. As in Adam all die, so also in Christ Jesus all shall be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, and then his coming who's belonging to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted whom put all things in subjection to him. And when all things are subjected to him, then the son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. Verse 29. Likewise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead if the dead are not raised at all? Why are people being baptized on their behalf and why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought against beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Good company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken super as, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. And I say this to your shame. Verse 35. But someone will say, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen into each kind a seed of his own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind of humans, another of animals, another of birds, another of fish. There are heavenly bodies Earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one kind and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, and the stars are different from star and glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown perishable is raised imperishable, and what is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. But it's not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of the dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as, as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are, in, who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust... We shall also bear the image of the man 
of heaven. Praise God. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the imperishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. The trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable This mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain because of the resurrection. Look, if you didn't read a chapter of the Bible this week, you just did. (laughs) Would you join me? Thank you. But let us resist the temptation to just go soft on a resurrection Sunday. But we still have to do business with your word. And this chapter is our calling card. It is our justification. It is what gives us a resurrection hope. Lord, expose where we have made an earthly hope too much. And let us put it back on resurrection hope. For your glory and your name. And God's people said, hey, you can be seated. So last, the last couple of weeks in our Minor Prophet series... If, if you're a guest here, uh, we've been talking about, I talked about the difference between worldly repentance and godly repentance. So today we're going to take a little bit of a look at a difference uh, between earthly hope and resurrection hope. Earthly hope and resurrection hope. And, and by the way, nothing wrong with earthly hope intrinsically. Nothing wrong with it. But here's the deal about earthly hope. It has no guarantee. It has no ultimate fulfillment. We have earthly hope in so many things, but we can never make any promises off that. So, for instance, we all have hope. Like, we hope to get out of debt. Can I get an amen? I hope to get married. Well, I'm already married, but some of us still hope. I hope to have a better marriage. I hope to have kids. I hope to pay off my house. I hope my kids don't embarrass me someday by how they turn out. I hope I have grandkids. I hope to, I hope I outlive my kids. Now, there's nothing wrong with earthly hope. This is this is example of earthly hope. Nothing wrong with it. Just don't make an idol out of it. But nothing wrong with. I mean, I I, I want to. Uh, I want my kids to outlive me. Okay. I I I want that. Okay. But there's nothing wrong with having earthly hope. Nothing wrong with it. But here's the deal: if all we have is earthly hope, we will be disappointed. Because I can't make any promises. I can't. See, I can't, I can't make any promises that you may not get out of debt. You might not get married. You, may, you might not have a better marriage. You might not have children. You might not pay your house off. Your kids will definitely embarrass you. But we don't know what the end's going to turn out. You might not have grandkids. And you, you, your, your kids might not outlive you. But here's the difference. Resurrection hope, totally different. The resurrection makes guaranteed promises that we can put a stake in, that we can put an anchor in. Now, I'm not saying earthly hope is bad. 
I'm just saying it has no guarantee. It's not a place to ultimately put all of our joy. But where we want to put our joy is in what's called resurrection hope. And the resurrection hope, we see it, I see it all over chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Now here's the deal. The resurrection is one of the most quantifiable things ever in history. I mean, outside of the Bible, there's so much evidence to substantiate it. But even in the Bible, I've, I've seen sometimes where people will say, well, I'm not really sure that Jesus actually rose from the dead. Maybe it was just a, his, just a, just an imagination kind of thing. Maybe it was a hallucination. Maybe he really didn't die completely. This just seems kind of fantastic that someone would be dead three days and raised from the dead. But all over the scriptures, over 104 times, the scriptures mention that he bodily rose from the dead. It makes promises. And I can tell you today, I'm a follower of Jesus, not because of Jesus' great teachings, although I love him. I'm a follower of Jesus today, not because of his miracles, but they helped authenticate who he was. But I am ultimately a believer today because of the resurrection. If you walked in here today and you said, here's the evidence, and there is no resurrection of Jesus. He was a good man. He lived. He even said he was God, but he did not raise from the dead. Would it change me? Absolutely it changed me. I would resign today, take back this suit, okay, never buy another suit again. And I would be off on my way doing something totally different from this. But that he rose from the dead, never to die again, you have to do something with that. So I would say this, what I love about chapter 15 is it starts to talk to us about real hope, about where you can actually put, uh, I mean, not necessarily anything wrong with earthly hope. Those are all things that we want and desire But really, or I'm anchoring my hope is in eternal things. I'm anchoring it in the resurrection. And if you got an outline, there should be an outline in your seat. There's eight things that the resurrection guarantees me. That I can walk away today. That I can know this is true. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Although I may hope to have some things in life. This is my real hope. This is where I'm putting everything. This is where I'm anchoring myself. First on your outline is faith. When I read this chapter, I see a guarantee because of the resurrection. I see a guaranteed hope. If you look at verse 17, he says this. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Now, remember, he's trying to make a point here that that if Christ didn't raise from the dead, all these things you're doing is futile. Because remember, in verse 20, the crux of it. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the what? Verse 20, the dead. So that's a known fact. So reaching back to verse 17, with verse 20 in mind, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile, which the opposite of that would mean this. If Christ did raise, and in fact, he did in verse 20, that means your faith is not futile. That word futile means devoid of significance. See, for many of you in this church, most of us here today are, are followers of Jesus, been followers for a while, and your faith, has required some things of you. I mean, if you're really in the faith, it requires some things of you. There's been a lot of sacrifice that you've made here. There's been a lot of involvement in church, financial giving. It has changed how you parent. It has changed even how you forgive your spouse. It is how you how you forgive others, even the spiritual disciplines. There's a lot of energy that you've poured out if you have faith in the resurrection of Jesus. And here's what happens sometimes. You pour out, you pour out, you do, you do. You're worshiping him, spiritual disciplines, pouring out energy, serving other people. And sometimes you feel like, ugh, is, is all this effort worth it? Does it mean anything? Am I just spinning my wheels here? Not if you have resurrection hope. Resurrection hope, he says, 
Your faith is not futile. What's done in Jesus is not futile. It's not devoid of significance. It has a guarantee. Everything that you're doing right now for the kingdom, every bit of disciple making that you do, it has an impact. You know what? Sometimes it's hard when you're trying to make disciples is you'll sometimes, if someone you've tried to make disciples with ends up kind of acting a fool. Does anybody know anything about acting like a fool? Okay. Like people you might have poured your life into and you don't see an immediate payoff of that. Sometimes that can get you kind of down and discouraged. Well, that's because you kind of had an earthly hope, but a resurrection hope, totally different. You can know this, that all the faith, all the things that you've done, nothing has been futile to this point because he's resurrected. It's a guarantee. You'll be rewarded accordingly. You'll be, you'll, you'll receive well done, that good and faithful servant. That's the guarantee. And not only that, but keep looking at verse 17. And this is number two on that outline. Sins forgiven. Like the hope of the resurrection is my sins. Not only is my faith not devoid of significance. My faith is not futile. But look in verse 17. If Christ is raised from the dead, which is true because he said that in verse 20. Your faith is futile, but you are still in your sins. Now he says you're still in your sins because he's suppose he's trying to make a case. If you say that there's no resurrection, that's what the Corinthians were saying. But now in verse 20, he said, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, which means this, which means the opposite of you are still in your sins means you are not in your sins. If Christ is raised from the dead, that means we have hope in the resurrection that our sins can be forgiven. Sin is what separates us from God. Sin is what sends us to hell. Sin sin will send us to hell to experience the wrath of God for all eternity. That is absolutely true. You can't, I mean, people are talking about there's no such thing as hell. There is absolutely a such thing as hell. And hell is the place that people go to experience the wrath of God carried out for them. But here's the deal. Because Jesus rose from the dead. This shows that he actually beat sin on the cross. This shows that actually sin didn't overcome him. At 16... At 16, I came to understand that I was a sinner in rebellion against God and that I could not save myself. All my good works could not not counterbalance all my sin. That's what I thought. Before I became a follower at 16, I kind of thought, well, if you do more good than bad, the scales will kind of tip in your favor. But the more I kept reading the scriptures, I discovered that actually there's no way to tip it in my favor. Just one sin was enough to condemn me to hell for all eternity. And then I started reading the, the, the Bible and I started to discover that what, what the resurrection tells me is that on the cross, Jesus absorbed the wrath of God in my place. And the resurrection is my receipt, my ticket to say, wait a minute, he's done with it. Sin didn't beat him. He beat sin. He came back alive. Now, this is what I love about the resurrection. Not everything's going to go perfect in any of our lives. I mean, I'm looking. I mean, honestly, I, I mean, if you live long enough and you start to see people get into old age, it starts to scare you a little bit. All right. Anybody been there? Like you just see what's going on. If your hope is in that, not a great hope. Because I don't know what the future is going to look like. I don't know what disease. I don't know how aging is going to look. But I can tell you this. If my hope is put in resurrection hope, I can know this. Ultimately, my sins are forgiven. And ultimately, ultimately in the end, if my sins are forgiven, I'm clear before the Lord and I have access to the throne of God. And whatever happens to me, I win in the end. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm not looking to go out early. But if I go out early, I'm okay. Okay? I, 
nothing's going to be too bad about that. I get to go to glory. This is why I still love Paul, where they were like, Paul, stop preaching Jesus or else we're going to beat you. Great. I get to suffer for his name. Oh, well, Paul, we're going to lock you up. Well, great. I'll tell everybody about Jesus. Or Paul, we're going to kill you. Well, great. I just get to be with Jesus. Like you couldn't win with the guy. Why is that? Because he had resurrection hope. Knew his sins are forgiven. Hey, I will tell you this. One of the best things you can do today, if your sins are not forgiven, today is the day to call out to Christ. What better day to know the day that you put your stake in the ground and said, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I'm repenting of my sinfulness. I'm turning from trusting that I can save myself to trusting that Christ can save me by his finished work on the cross. What better day than Easter? You know, it's great. I can't remember the day that I became a follower of Jesus. It was just a day of many days. But boy, if it's Easter, you're always going to have a really great day to remember, a really great spiritual birthday. This might be the best day that you could come to faith in Jesus Christ. And you know how you come to faith in Jesus Christ? You simply call out to him. Like you can do it right now in your seat with no one. I mean, you... You can, after church, we can do it together. You can go to the bathroom and do it. You can go to the bathroom here. You can go to my office. You can do, you can bow your head right now and call out to Jesus. When we sing here in a little bit, you can call out to Jesus. You can call out to Jesus anywhere. It just looks like this. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I deserve your wrath. But Jesus died in my place to take away my sin. And I trust in you. I trust in that. I want to follow you. I mean, that's it. And you know, actually, when you say that, you're all, all you're doing is reflecting on what's actually going on in the inside, right? It's really not the words that save you. It's the belief that you already had. The words are just your kind of way of manifesting what's really going on in your soul. And that can happen today. Listen, if, if that's even happening right now, here's what you got to do. But when we end this thing today, tell some follower of Jesus so they can help disciple you. So they can help you take that next step of faith. But we have hope today. When we have resurrection hope, we can know that our sins are forgiven. They're done. They're dealt with. No longer, no longer will, am I worried about this. It's a guarantee. I don't have a lot of guarantees in life, but I have a guarantee that my sins are forgiven by the finished work of Christ. And not only that, look at number three on your outline. So not only do we have faith, our faith isn't futile. This is Real hope in the resurrection. And not only do, is, are my sins forgiven, can, can your sins be forgiven? But number three, we can have life right now. Look in verse 22. He says in verse 22, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Now, what's interesting is, in Adam, when Adam fell in the garden, gave into sin, put us under the curse of it, He died spiritually and would someday die physically. And he passed that on to us, right? But here's what happens. When I became a follower of Jesus at 16, I became alive spiritually. Not dead spiritually anymore to God. I'm alive to God now. And what's interesting about the early years of of, of me becoming a follower of Jesus, I just thought salvation was just getting heaven someday. But it's that, but so much more. You can actually start living for God. You can be alive to God now through Jesus Christ. Resurrection hope gives us spiritual Life right now in the present. You don't have to wait till you get to heaven someday to start loving on Jesus and living for him. It can happen right now. In fact, I would tell you this. What's a great evidence that you've come to faith in Jesus Christ is when you have a desire to live for him right now. When I became a follower at 16, no one told me that Jesus is your Lord. They just said, ask him as your savior. And man, I was ready to do that. 
But something happened to me in the midst of that. Although no one pointed out to me that when you become a follower, that the natural outflow is that he's Lord, he's king, you follow him. I can remember getting home that night and thirsting for him. I can remember just wanting more of him. I can remember like, like I want to like, what's next, Lord? Like, here am I. What, what do you want, Lord? That's a good evidence. If you're saying like, hey, Nick, I'm big, I've called out to the Lord. How do I know that, that I've really had an honest, sincere heart about that? I would say this. Is there at least a desire for him? If that desire is there, friend, that's great evidence. That means that you have life right now going on inside you. As in Adam, all die and Christ, all shall be made alive. Now, this isn't just spiritual life, but also physically. Like physically, you may die but we actually don't really die. We more graduate. We don't really die. We just graduate. I mean, death is really life for us. Death is actually real life for us. Death is just getting us closer to the end goal that we want to be, to be in a glorified body with Jesus and all things are as they should be. But you got life right now. I hear people all the time say, life is over. I've got nothing to live for. In fact, that's one of the thoughts that happens. You know that suicide rates are higher than they've ever been. Especially among a millennial crowd, suicide is higher than it's ever been before. Why is that? Because when you, when you commit suicide, you've put your hope in something earthly, and that earthly thing has not panned out for you. But friend, when you have resurrection hope, totally different. And, and even if life isn't going perfect, even if you've got cataclysm all around you, you can be just like Paul. I mean, Paul's like, Remember I told you earlier, we're going to put you in prison. That's great. I'll tell people about Jesus. We're going, to, we're going to beat you. That's great. Suffer for his name. We're going to kill you. That's great. I'll be in heaven. Like you could not get him down. There was, there was no, why? Because there was a resurrection hope. I mean, this is what's going to actually give you life right now. Our hope is in the resurrection. Not only that, but number four, it shows that Jesus controls the future. Verse 24 through 28, I love this. It's kind of confusing, but I'll explain a little bit of it. Are y'all still with me? Y'all okay? Look in verse 24. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom. This is Jesus delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. Just so you know, Jesus broke the back of sin, but he's still dealing with the final rebellion of it on our earth. It, sin is still the residue of it is still floating around. He is ultimately going to rule and reign over it and deliver and deliver the kingdom right back to the Father. Look in verse 25. For he must reign Jesus till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. That's that's the final residue of sin. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet Jesus. But when it says all things are in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. That's verse 27, saying God put these things in subjection to Christ. As a result of his resurrection, these things are in subjection to him. And he is ultimately going to do away with the curse of sin, fall, death. He's going to put away of it all. Verse 28, And when all things are subject to him, Jesus, then the Son himself will also be subject to him, the Father, who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. I want you to notice something really big about 24 through 28, just so you know. If Jesus is delivering everything up to the Father, that must mean that Jesus is control of what's going on. This means, do you ever notice that like our, we have so much earthly hope in the future? Like we hope that we're not going to be put in an old folks' home, all right? Or we hope 
that we're going to have enough retirement to make it. Or we hope that we just will have retirement, right? Or we, we hope, we hope in all these things for the future. We hope that, we hope that our country is safe in the future. We hope that this will be a great place for our grandkids. We put our hope in so many things. I'm not saying that's bad, but I will say this. That earthly hope might disappoint. Like, I can't promise you. I can't promise you the next presidency is going to change anything, is going to make us closer to what God wants us to look like. I can't promise anything like that. But I can promise this, that the future is completely in Jesus' hands and that, that you don't have to worry about tomorrow. I mean, be aware with what's happening on, but you don't have to twiddle your thumbs and neither is God about what's going to happen with the rest, with, with the rest of, of life from here. He has complete control of the future. In a minute, the, uh, some young, the younger kids are going to come in here and they're going to sing a song. Uh, because he lives. Y'all know that hymn, Because He Lives? I love one part of that hymn. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. His resurrection in this text shows that he is over all, control of all, bringing everything to his glory, delivering it up to the Father. Everything is in subjection to him. He is, he is taking care of the final residue of the curse of the fall on the earth. And he controls the future completely. You don't have to be worried about your future. Your future may seem helpless, but your future is not hopeless. And the worst thing that can happen to any of us would be that we would die. And we'll be okay at that point. Like we'll be with Jesus. We'll be with him. Now I know it's kind of hard because we're so tied to this body. But God's got something better for us. Number five on your outline. It helps us to fight against sin. I love this next part. Look in verse 34 of this passage. Here's another hope. Here's another guarantee. We're guaranteed that our faith is not futile. We're guaranteed that our sins are forgiven. We're guaranteed that we have life right now. We are guaranteed that Jesus controls the future because of the resurrection. And we are guaranteed that we can fight against sin. Look in verse 34. He says, wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning. Now, interesting, these first, these Corinthians... We're not having faith in the resurrection. And because they weren't putting their hope in the resurrection, it had led to a lifestyle of sinfulness. And one of the things that happens is they were, they were in drunkenness. And just a side note, I just don't think because I'm like, you know, in a suit and I look like a Baptist preacher that like, you know, you can't ever drink alcohol. But I, I'm telling you this. I know this. When, when a person becomes, gets into drunkenness, it's because they have their hope in something earthly. And that earthly thing has disappointed them. And this is the only thing that seems to solve or salve the moment. But it never lasts because the next day they got to have it again. Resurrection hope will help you with that. Resurrection hope, you put your hope not on earthly things, but on heavenly things. And one of the things you can do is you can fight against sin. It says this, wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning. So it's more than just alcohol. It's all of life. You ever felt like you just like sin has such a grip on you? You ever feel like you just keep giving into that temptation even more? What what is one of the things that you'll need? Putting a firm, putting a firm footing in resurrection hope. This is how I can fight sin. When I'm battling with sin in my own life, one of the things I tell myself that I'll say, Nick, and then Nick says, yes. We have this conversation out loud so everybody can think I'm crazy. Actually, I do say that to my soul sometimes. I'll say, soul, come on. 
You know, you know better than that. Come on. You know Jesus is resurrected from the dead. You know that this sin has no power over you. You know the only power this sin has over you is the power that you give it. But this sin is a toothless monster. Now this, this, this sin comes around and it still frightens you, but it's just gnawing on you with those gums, right? It's really not making any traction. You can say no to sin and say yes to God, Nick. You can do this. Soul, you can do this because your hope is in the resurrection, not even in your own intrinsic power. Jesus has overcome this. You see what I'm talking about here? Resurrection hope. You can fight against sin because of it. I mean, if you feel like, you know this, man, you know this. If you've ever been so addicted to a sin, you just wake up each day and you are scared. You ever been there? Just scared by the grip of what sin has in your life? Resurrection hope, friend. I mean, start going back to chapter 15 and start realizing that like I am dead to sin and alive to God. I just got to reconcile it. I've just got to compute it in my mind. Number six, that's a guarantee that you can fight sin. You can say no to sin and yes to God. Number six, we have a responsibility to tell the gospel to the lost. We have a responsibility. Look at verse 34. So he'd already said to them in verse 34, wake up from your drunken stupor as is right. Do not go on sinning. So there's a guarantee of the resurrection. We can fight against sin. And then he says this, for some have no knowledge of God. And I say this to your shame. You know what's interesting years ago? By the way, I can learn something from anybody. I especially, I'd say this. You know, some of the people that I learn the most from are people who are new to the faith. Those are the people I learn from the most. Because it tends to be people like me who've been a follower of Jesus for 24 years. We've almost sometimes, we do these stupid things where we think that knowledge is is equal to godliness. And because I already know something You know, it just becomes old to me. Like, yeah, I've heard that truth before. You're like, yeah, I know that. I know that. But then you see like a new believer and they'll they'll say like, whoa, I can say no to sin and yes to God. It's like revolutionary to their soul. It it actually brings me back to the basics. Sometimes I just need to be brought back to the basics. One time this new follower of Christ, uh, he'd just become a follower. And, And the church I was in, we were really encouraging our people to share the gospel, right? I mean, it's just something we do, part of obedience. And, uh, and I had said to him, I said, man, it's, I said, this will be one of the hardest things to do in your life is to share the gospel. I said, but man, start doing it now as a new follower. So you have, you know, there's people in our church that have been followers for years. And it's like, man, they just can't get out of the boat and do it. And he said something to me so profound. He said, well, the reason they don't want to do it is because their life doesn't match it. I was like, what? He's like, yeah, that, like people won't tell people about Jesus if sin's in their life. Now, I know that seems like well, you know, did you go through Bible college and didn't catch that, Nick? Like, that's pretty dumb. But it was like, it's like I knew that, but I didn't know it. You ever been there before? Like you knew it, but you didn't really know it. And when he said that to me, it was like, mind blown. You mean sin actually affects how we, whether or not we'll spread the gospel news? I love in the text he says this, wake up from your drunken stupor as is right, do not go on sinning. And then by... By reference, he's saying, for some have no knowledge of God, I say this to your shame. What actually had stopped them was the sin patterns in their life. So I love this. The hope of the resurrection is that we have this responsibility to give the gospel out to other people. But I will tell you this. One of the lowest motivating times for us to actually share the gospel will actually be if we're not dealing with sin in our own life. 
Because when I don't deal with sin in my own life, I'm not as thankful for the grace that's been extended to me. And when I'm not thankful for the grace that's been extended to me, then I'm not really worried about other people getting that grace. But when I realize the grace that's been extended to me, I realize I have this awesome responsibility. And, and, and something's wrong with our Christian culture where we're kind of like, oh, I don't want to offend people. Or, oh, I, what if they don't want to hear it? Like, like the gospel actually literally means what, church? It's good news. Would you ever not tell people good news? Like there's nothing negative about this gospel. How is this a negative thing? Like we, we often think the gospel is negative. There's nothing negative about it. I mean, it's negative that it took the, it took the brutality of the wrath of God on his son. But what, what's so negative about, oh, listen, you can go from hell to heaven. Nothing negative about that for me. Oh, you can have life right now. Nothing negative about that for me. I mean, oh, you can have real lasting hope now. Nothing negative about that for me. I love this because sometimes I don't want to share the gospel or sometimes I feel like I got a low motivation. But yet resurrection hope tells me there's something for me to do. That God has something for me. This is part of this chapter. He says, people don't have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Like this is part of your calling card. Number seven. I love this part. Number thirty, verse 35. Are you all still with me? Are you okay? All right. I'll take this jacket off in a minute. <laughs> Give me a hanky, I'll start sweating, we'll be done. But someone will ask, oh man, I love this section. You're going to have a glorified body someday. Some will, some will ask, because the problem is, like in this text, some just couldn't compute what this would look like, right? Because you know, Paul's like, you're going to have a resurrected body. And they're just kind of like, uh, that does not... Like, well, what would that look like and how? Because bodies die and they decay. And how can a decayed body, is, is this going to be like a, you know, like a, like the living dead? Is there going to be zombies walking around? I mean, it, it, what are these people thinking? I don't know. But whatever they thought, it didn't compute in their mind what a glorified body would look like. So Paul gives them a little bit of a hint. He says in verse 35, some will ask, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not a body that is to be, but a bare kernel, a seed, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body. So what will your resurrection body be like? It'll be, it'll be very consistent with what your body is right now. Like, for instance, if you've got an apple seed, what do you think is going to come from an apple seed? You've got a peach seed, what do you think is going to come from a peach seed? Okay, so... I don't know, but it'll be consistent with what you are right now. So you don't have to fear like, will I be some ghostly, ghoulish kind of entity in heaven? No, you won't be that. You'll be recognizable. You'll be, you'll be the Nick you were created to be. You'll be the Nick minus the curse of the fall, minus sin, whatever that Nick is going to look like. He's probably six foot five, you know, pretty chiseled abs, possibly. I don't know. Yeah, hope and resurrection right there. (laughs) But look what he says. He says, hey, you know this. I mean, not all flesh is the same in verse 39. There's one kind of humans, one for animals, birds and fish, heavenly bodies. There's earthly bodies. The glory of the heavenly is one kind. The glory of another. There's the glory of the sun, the glory of the moon. He's just making a point and saying this. Everybody, 
God has designed each thing, and there's a glory to him. And God has designed your body, and that body will be resurrected and will meet your soul and be with the Lord. And it'll be fashioned. It'll be, it'll be very similar in likeness. It'll be a little bit different because he says in verse 42, actually look in verse 49. Just as we have borne the image of the man of the dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. This glorified body we have that will be free from the curse of the fall will be have a body like we were always meant to have. But then in some way, this body, as it's glorified, will will be in the image of Christ. Not that you'll look like Christ, but as Christ is glorified, so will you be. It will be very similar. Read about his resurrection, then you'll have an idea. Now, here's why I love this. By the way, some people are like, man, I just still can't get that. Kind of think of it like a computer upgrade, right? When you have a computer program, you ever notice they always have like, okay, here's 1.0, here's 2.0, here's 3.0. You know, Windows 98 and Windows next version down. I'm sorry, maybe I should use Apple, right? Are we mostly Apple users? Each version, no. Okay, we're PC. I knew y'all weren't right with Jesus. Doesn't matter. (laughs) Every time they give you an update... It's a little different, but it's still the same seed. It's still the same program. Some new features, some new upgrades, but it's still familiar. What were your glorified body? Oh, it's going to have some upgrades, my friend. But it's still going to be familiar to what it was. Now, between all that, I don't know, but Scripture's given us enough that we need to have hope in the resurrection. And one of the hopes of the resurrection is the glorified body. And I'm so excited about this because all of us, I'll do this. If you ever just can't go to sleep at night, turn on your TV. And almost every commercial is about, hey, we got this cream, we got this pill, we got this leaf, we've got this, this oil that we've gone to the top of a volcano in Hawaii, and we've, and we've vaporized the fumes from Mount Kilimanjaro. And if you'll just swallow this, you'll live an extra 30 years and have no wrinkles, right? There's like all these promises earthly hope promises, right? And we're hoping like if I swallow enough of these, I'm just going to live it out well to the end. And probably not going to happen, right? Someone's making a lot of money off of us. But I'll tell you this, when your hope's in the resurrection, totally different, totally different. Like you are going to be okay. And although your body is wasting and wearing away and someday a doctor's going to come in with a white coat and he's going to give you bad news, but in the end that won't, that won't hurt you. That won't get you down. That won't ultimately strip you. Now, if, you're, if, if you put all your earthly hope in what happens to your body, yeah, it's going to strip you. But man, if you have resurrection hope, you're just going to look forward to that glorious day. And even the pain that you're going through today, you're, all the pain that you go through today is just to help you to say, you know what, I'm so thankful that someday this pain won't be here anymore. That's, that's resurrection hope. It's a guaranteed hope. And number eight, and I know you are so sad this is almost over. Verse 58. Our labor is not in vain. Therefore, my beloved brothers, another guarantee of the resurrection hope. Therefore, my beloved brothers. Remember, he'd just gone on talking about the resurrection. This whole chapter about the resurrection. And look how he ends it, brethren. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Listen, I've been a follower of Jesus for 24 years now. I get tired sometimes. I've been in pastoral ministry a while. Get tired. Try to make disciples get tired. Get tired. Any of y'all get tired? Yeah. It's not easy. I mean, if someone tells you being a Christian is an easy life, they lied to you, all right? 
Please don't go around telling people like, oh, become a Christian. It'll be the, your life will just be so much better. Like, no, it's going to be hard. It's going to be good. <laughs> you can have like real godly hope, but it's, it's not going to be easy. This is why I love this verse, because every time I feel like I'm too tired to fight sin, I'm too tired to serve. I'm too tired to put the kingdom first. I'm too tired to keep pressing on, too tired to forgive, too tired to keep reaching out for relationships. You ever notice this, how hard it is to keep reaching out in relationship? You ever notice that like, like when, when they're like, if you hang around people long enough, like something, someone probably sins against each other and that like you have to go and like have hard conversations and repent of your sin. And they've got, I mean, like all these hard things, like sometimes like in your flesh, you just want to give up and go find some cave. I mean, I, I realize sometimes these desert monks in the early parts of Christianity, I realize now why I don't know if they were so pious and godly. They probably just want to get away from people. They haul up in these caves and just read their Bible and, and that's it. Everybody thought they were real godly. I don't know about that. I think they just didn't like people. They got tired of it. They kind of felt like their labor was in vain, probably. But this is why I love the resurrection. Because I have a guaranteed hope that all the efforts I'm making, all the dis- every bit of disciple-making energy that's being wrung out for the kingdom, it's good. And that, God's going, that God looks on it and he smiles on it. And that... My labor is not in vain. Everything I'm doing for the kingdom, everything you're doing for the kingdom is not in vain. Mama, when you got up this morning, and I should say husband, because y'all are servant husbands, right? As you helped with your kids, as you got them ready, as you got here to church, it's hard, isn't it? I mean, it's hard. But all your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Everything you're doing is not in vain in the Lord. So with this in mind, I would say this. We have a resurrection hope today. Not an earthly hope, But a resurrection hope that guarantees that our faith is not futile. Our sins are forgiven. We have real life right now. Jesus is control. We can fight against sin. That we have a, that we have the responsibility to share the gospel. That God, that our, that we will ultimately be a glorified body as all things should be. And everything we're doing for the kingdom is not in vain. That is 1 Corinthians 15. Resurrection hope in our life. And I hope you have that too. Would you do this? Would you, would you just bow your head and pray with me? Would you bow your head? If you're here and you're without Christ, if you're here and if I were to ask you the question, if you were to die today and stand before the Lord and he were to say, why should I let you into my heaven? And you don't have an answer for that. You don't even know what, what that would look like. You've never heard of the grace of Jesus Christ to forgive your sins. Friend, I would encourage you to do this. Today, would you come talk to me I've got scores of people in this church that I would love to match you up with and let them share with you the message of the gospel. Here's what we're going to do in a minute. We're going to take communion. We're going to pray. We're going to take communion. Um, And if you're a follower of Jesus, take this communion with us. If you're a repenting believer, take this communion with us. If you're not a follower of Jesus, the communion's not for you. But I will tell you this, even right now as we pray, you can call out to Jesus, then take communion with us. Communion is just, there's nothing, there's nothing intrinsically magical about the actual communion we're taking. It's to remind us of what Jesus has done for us. It's to remind us of the resurrection. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for a chance for your people to think deeply on the resurrection, to put our hope in what the resurrection tells us happens in our life now. If there's someone here without the hope of the resurrection, 
someone who's never become a follower. Right now, Jesus, what you did for me at 16, would you do for that person at 16? What you did for me at 16, will you do for that person who's 18? What you did for me, will you do for her? What you did for me, will you do for him? Lord, let that person and these people right now call out to you in faith. Lord, let them tell another follower so they can start being discipled to follow you. For the rest of us, as we take communion, we need this. We need a reminder. We get bogged down so much by things that are so non-essential to glorifying you. We just need to refresh our soul for a second. Let us put our hope not in the things of the earth. Deliver us from that. But let us ultimately put our hope in what the resurrection has promised us. Would you do it for your kingdom and for your renown and for your name?